This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 33, The Hawk and the Dove. Last time, the Pandavas continued their pilgrimage, traveling from the Narmada River north to the Yamna. The traveling was uneventful, but we heard the stories of Sukanya and Mandatar. Many of Lomasha's stories so far have involved a Brahmin hero with a compliant and loyal wife. Nala was the exception in that the main character was a king, but he too had a very loyal and forbearing Kshatriya wife. Thus, Mandatar represents a break in the pattern in that he had no mother, nor is there any mention of a wife. Most of Lamasha's stories seem to serve a propagandistic purpose, since most of the heroes are Brahmins. And in this last story, it is the Brahmins who are able to stand in for the mother's role in childbearing. This concern with fertility in kings continues on in the next story, called Jantu. By this point, the Pandavas had reached Kurikshetra. They had nearly made a full circuit of India and, out of the blue, Yudhishthira asked Lomasha about the life and deeds of the ancient king Samaka. Lomasha told them, There once was a virtuous king named Samaka who had 100 wives of the same rank. In spite of great efforts, he failed to beget a son on them. Eventually, after he had grown old and spent for trying, one of his wives finally conceived and bore a son named Jantu. This kid was coddled and spoiled by his 100 mothers, as the whole palace worried about his health. He was also a very weak and sickly child, so the king constantly worried that he might outlive his heir. Matters came to a head one day, when the brat Jantu was out playing, and he was bitten on the arse by an ant. The boy shrieked loudly in pain, while all the women gathered around him and wrung their hands in concern. King Samaka had witnessed the whole scene and got fed up. He summoned his learned priests and complained, Having just one son is worse than having none. I personally inspected and selected these 100 women, and after so much trouble, they only produced this sickly specimen. And now, all our lives depend on this brat. Don't you have some spell or something that could get me a hundred sons? One priest did just the magic for the occasion. He suggested that if they sacrificed Jantu and had the women inhale the smoke from his funeral pyre, they would each conceive a son. Not to worry about young Jantu either, because he will transmigrate and will be one of the 100 sons reborn to the same mother. King Samaka readily agreed to this deal and ordered the Brahmin to fire up the ritual. After preparing the fire, the priest walked over to the nursery, grabbed the child Jantu and led him towards the sacred fire. The women had not been informed of the king's decision, but they grew suspicious and ran after the boy, crying and wailing as they went. The women tried to snatch the boy back, but it was too late. The priest struck the boy on the head and threw him into the fire. The women all fell to the ground in anguish and then breathed in the smoke from the fire. All 100 wives fell unconscious and each conceived a son. After 10 months, Samaka's wives bore 100 sons. The first to give birth was Jantu's mother, and he was also named Jantu. Endowed with a healthier body, this new and improved Jantu became heir to the throne. In time, the priest died, and later, King Samaka died as well. Samaka ascended into heaven, but noticed his helpful priest was trapped in the fires of hell. Samaka went to him and asked why he was being punished. The Brahmin replied, You see me burning here because I sacrificed your son. Samaka declared, I shall enter the fire in place of this priest, since he was acting on my orders. At this point, Dharma broke in on the conversation and said, No one suffers the sins of another. Samaka challenged Dharma, saying, Then I shall join with him in this suffering, for I do not crave heaven as long as this priest remains here. Dharma is not one to bend the rules, so he said, Very well, join your friend. You can both come out when his term is done. 
Lomasha concluded his story. The king served out his turn in the netherworld, and then he and his priest both rose up to the blessed realms. At this point, the whole plot device of having the Pandavas on tour wears a bit thin. Lomasha starts calling out place names as if he were a tour guide on a high-speed train. He points out the Sarasvati River, then Kurukshetra, then the Ford of the Sindhu, then the Lake of Kashmir, then to the rivers Jala Nupajala near the Yamna, where Ushanara excelled over Indra. Of course, Yudhishthira had to hear all about that, so begins the next story called The Hawk and the Dove. Not much background is given in this story. It just starts with Indra and Agni deciding to test King Ushanara to see if he is as great as everyone says. So Indra turned himself into a hawk while Agni transformed into a dove. In hot pursuit, the dove flew onto the king's lap. Granting it shelter, the king nestled the dove and waved off the hawk. The hawk was annoyed and complained to the king, Sire, you know the law better than anyone, so why do you deny me? The king replied, This frightened bird came to me seeking shelter. He was defenseless and asked for my protection. How could a king fail to protect the weak? That would be contrary to my dharma. The hawk said, My lord, it is by food that all creatures are able to exist. If you deprive me of food for even a short time, I will die. And if I die, my wife and children will surely follow after me. So, by protecting this dove, you will destroy many lives. The king was impressed at the hawk's subtle knowledge of dharma. He said, Best of birds, your speech is so beautiful, you are certainly versed in the law. So tell me, do you think it would be right for me to abandon a refugee? All you need is some food, so I can have a deer or a boar cooked up for you. The hawk said, Boar and deer meat are not my kind of food. Doves are my sustenance, so let that one go, so I may eat my lawful food. This the king would not do. He said, I can give you anything you want, but just not this dove. Tell me what I should do, because I shall not give this up. The hawk said, Ushanara, if you love this dove so much, then I shall take a piece of your flesh, equal in weight to the dove. The king was a bit overweight, so he figured he could spare a dove's weight in fat. So the king pulled out a sharp knife and ordered up a scale. The dove was placed on one side, while Ushanara removed slices of flesh and placed them on the opposite side of the balance. Soon he'd removed his beer belly and spare tire, but still, the dove weighed more than the gobs of fat. Ushanara continued slicing off flesh and placing it on the scales, until he was a bloody mess, but still the dove weighed more. Finally, the bloody, pulped king dragged himself bodily onto the scale. At last the hawk let him in on the joke. He praised the king, saying, I am Indra and this dove is the god Agni. We came here to test your commitment to Dharma. This shall be your shining glory for all time. I don't know if Ushanara had a good laugh over this and then died of massive blood loss, or whether the gods did him the favor of putting him back together, because the story ends right there. Lomasha then resumes calling out new place names, but this time I get the sense that they're moving northwards into the Himalayas. He mentions the Kanakala Mountains, the River Ganga, Bahirgu's Peak, and a lake called Punya. Lomasha then pointed out the lovely hermitage of Raibya, where the sage Yavakrita Bharavaja found his death. If you haven't noticed by now, sages rarely die in the Mahabharata, so this must be an interesting story. Of course, Yudhishthira wanted to hear all about it. This story of Raibya and Yavakrita is vague on the one point that makes it interesting. That is, apparently, one of the two ascetic friends is a Brahmin, while the other is from a lower caste, presumably a Vaishya. The story begins with the friends Bharadvaja and Raibya. It says Raibya and his two sons were versed in the Vedas, while Bharadvaja was merely an ascetic, yet the two were the best of friends. 
Our translator, Van Buitenen, takes this to mean that Raibyo is a Brahmin, while Bharadvaja was merely a non-Brahmin ascetic. From other stories, it would be safe to assume that Bharadvaja was not a Kshatriya, because they would have told us so. The Brahmin Raibya had two sons, while Bharadvaja had one named Yavakri. Yavakri noticed how his father did not get the same respect as Raibya and his sons did, and Yavakri resented this. As he grew older, the boy decided he would outdo the Brahmins in austerities, and thereby would gain the knowledge of the Vedas by brute force. Despite warnings from his father, the determined boy began doing such severe austerities that it set alarm bells off in heaven. Indra came down to see what the boy was up to, and asked him what he was after. Yavakri told Indra that he was interested in nothing less than mastery of the Vedas. Indra told the boy, Don't waste your time trying to gain Vedic knowledge through suffering. It is much easier to just find a teacher and learn it the old-fashioned way. The boy was stubborn, however, and he threatened to burn his limbs in the sacrificial fire if he did not get what he wanted. Indra finally relented and granted knowledge of the Vedas to both Yavakri and his father Bharadvaja. Yavakri returned happily to his father's camp and told him the good news. The old man was one of those Vaishyas who knew their place, and he warned his son about getting too uppity. Bharadvaja warned his son that even with his achievements he should not grow too proud. If he should offend the Brahmins, there would surely be trouble. Yavakri was unconcerned. After all, he had all the best magic, so no one could mess with him. Thus, despite the warnings, Yavakri put on airs and treated other ascetics rudely. Fearlessly, Yavakri wandered where he pleased and did what he pleased. One day, he happened upon Raibya's encampment. At the time, no one was home except Raibya's daughter-in-law. Yavakri thought up a good way to snub the proud Brahmins. He propositioned their woman. He brazenly walked up to Raibya's daughter-in-law and said, Make love to me. When the girl refused, he raped her. Later, when Raibya and his sons returned home, she told them what had happened. Raibya became furious and pulled a strand of hair from his head and offered it to the fire. Using this magic, he summoned two beings from the fire. The first was a lovely woman, while the second was a monstrous Rakshasa. Raibya directed them to go off and kill Yavakri. The supernatural pair hunted down Yavakri. The vixen approached him lustfully, and while seducing him, she grabbed his water bowl and ran off. Robbed of his magic bowl, Yavakri became instantly unpure. The Rakshasa then rushed at him murderously. As long as Yavakri was unclean, he was magically defenseless. So he ran to the nearby pond to wash, but the pond was dry. He ran to the river, but it was dried up too. Desperately, he ran to his father's fire pit, but his way was blocked by his father's shudra guard. While the guard held him back, Yavakri was impaled by the Rakshasa's spear. When Bharadvaja returned home, he came across the dead body of his son. After his guard told him what happened, he worked out that the boy must have offended Raibya and had been punished. Bharadvaja mourned his only son and resolved to follow him to the next world. As he prepared his son's funeral pyre, he cursed Raibya to die at the hands of his eldest son. Then, Bharadvaja cremated his son and then entered the fire himself. Around the same time, Raibya's sons, Paravasu and Arvavasu, had gotten a job with the king performing a major sacrifice. The eldest, Paravasu, returned home to bring the news. That evening, Raibya was wrapped in an antelope skin wandering around the camp. As Paravasu approached the camp, he saw the old man and thought he was a Sasquatch and killed him on the spot. Since it was done in self-defense, Paravasu apparently took it pretty well. All we're told is that he performed his funerary duties, cremated the old man, then returned to his brother. 
Paravasu told his brother that he would need to perform the king's rite by himself because he needed Arvavasu to perform the spell that expiates the sin of killing a Brahmin. But since Arvavasu had performed it, he incurred the sin of his brother and was expelled as a Brahmin killer. Agni took pity on Arvavasu and expiated his sins, wiping them clean. He also granted Arvavasu a wish. The boy asked that all the protagonists be made whole and put right, so everyone was restored to the way they were and they lived happily ever after. For those of you who have been wondering when we would get past all these stories and back to the main plot, I have good news. Because after this, the heroes set out for Mount Kailash, deep in the Himalayas, where they will finally have some adventures of their own. I'll tell you all about it next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.